So if you're new with us this morning, welcome. My name's Sean. I'm the pastor here. I'm grateful that you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, You also need to know that uh, as far as the teachings are going, we're in the middle of a series uh, right now. And that series is talking about our core values, who we are as a church. So each week we remind ourselves that as a church, Union Church exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples that apply the gospel to every facet of life. But in order to do that, we have to hold fast to some values, to very specific values. And so we've been reminding ourselves, rehearsing those values, looking at scripture and seeing where those values come from and why it is that we hold to them. And so we talked the first week about gospel fluency as a value. And we talked about the gospel like a language. It's a story. It's an overarching story that tells us about who God is, what the world is, why the world is the way it is, who we are. The gospel, it it speaks to every facet of human existence. And we said that we want to be a people who don't just kind of recall the gospel when it's necessary and have to think through the Romans road or something like that, but rather a people who are fluent in the gospel. The gospel is how we think. It shapes how we see the world. We don't have to translate uh, secular to sacred back to secular. We just live and breathe and think the gospel. We're a gospel-fluent people. We value gospel fluency. The second thing we said is that we value big faith. We ask God for big things, and we believe God for big things. Right? And we're not saying this in a, if you believe God, he's going to give you a bends and promotion. We're saying this in that God changes hearts and people and lives and communities He restores marriages and broken families. He feeds the hungry. He does big, unbelievable, undreamable things. And he used a ragtag group of men, 12 men, one of whom he called the devil, to change the entire world. God does big things, and we believe him for it. Last week, we talked about authentic worship, worship in spirit and in truth, Worship that is holistically toward God. We are a people who worship day in and day out. As Paul said, our lives are spiritual sacrifices and acts of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. And this week we're talking about the fact that we value intentionally diverse communities. That, that doesn't mean that we're there yet, right? We planted out of majority culture churches, but we planted into a city that is radically diverse. And we want to see that diversity come to bear in our church. So that's what we're talking about this morning. And as we approach that, our scripture reading for the morning comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You might have heard this one before. Jesus came near and said to them, 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, meet us in your word. By the power of your spirit, show us Jesus and how we are to respond to him. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now from the jump, Union Church, we've talked about our desire to be a radically diverse church. And when we say radically diverse, we've, we've separated it into ideas. Um, it's not just we want to be a multi-ethnic church, but we want to be omni-multi, all the multis. We want to be multicultural. We want to be multi-socioeconomic. We want to be multi-generational. We believe, we believe that God is moving in every type of person on the planet. And they're here, and we want them all in here worshiping Jesus. We believe that brings glory to Jesus. We've seen it in the church. If you think about the church in Galatia, what Paul says is, there is now no longer among you male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. And so right in there, Paul is giving categories. And even though they might not have thought of it in those categories, we can rightly see in those categories, male or female. That means that the church is diverse in gender and that the church celebrates the diversity of gender that we have and the gifts that God has given to men and to women, right? We celebrate and believe that. And while while we recognize that there is still male and female, the distinction in Christ is gone. And at the same time, there's neither Jew nor Greek. And so what's really interesting about that is that what Paul is getting at there is the Jews were religious people and the Greeks, the pagans, they were irreligious. But Jewish Jew, Judaism at the time was not simply a religious belief. It was an ethnic identity. And so when Paul says Jew or Greek, he's not simply saying irreligious or religious. He's saying the whole ethnic identity and all that comes along with being Jew or Gentile, right? And that's what he says, Jew or Gentile, Greek or Scythian, slave or free, right? And all of those things, he's saying ethnic identity is no longer our central identity. But Christ is. And then when he says slave or free, we have to stop for a second and recognize that our under- slavery has never been good, but our understanding of slavery is based on the worst kind of slavery that has ever existed in the planet. It is different. Uh, slavery in, in, in Western culture in America was different. The idea of generationally bound, race-based, chattel slavery never existed anywhere else. Because your parent was a slave did not guarantee that you would be a slave. Slave families weren't separated. It was, slaves were still citizens. It was illegal to beat them, right? 
And so we have to understand when the scripture says slave or free, there is a social strata that is being talked about there as well as the actual position. And so whether you're rich or poor, whether you're slave or free, right, the church is made up of all of the above. And we want that radical diversity. But this morning, I want us to press into multicultural church, the ethnic diversity that we seek as a people. Because, as we'll see in this command, in this commission to Jesus, diversity is front-loaded into the mission of the church. I'll say that again. Diversity is front-loaded into the mission of the church. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's not like a, oh, and we should probably be diverse too. Right? The way that the mission given to the church plays itself out, diversity is the front. How, how do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, listen to what Jesus says. After saying that all authority has been given to me uh, by God, and I have all of it in heaven and in earth, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, they didn't have nation states in the same way that we think of nation states today. So he wasn't like, this is a call to missions to the world, and that means we need people going to Uganda, uh, Libya, uh, Peru, right? He's saying every type of people group, even still in the first century, even though there were larger states like Rome or Egypt, most people still lived in smaller ethnic groups with smaller ethnic identities and to that end every nation the Greek word panta ethnos really means panta is all like everything all them ethnos is like ethnic people group every family every people group of the world which means that they could hit panta ethnos in Jerusalem to an extent Like, they had a lot of work in Jerusalem hitting the ethnos. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus is named and known here in Jerusalem. Let's go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's saying right here in Jerusalem, because of where Jerusalem was located and the time of the Roman Empire, there were all different types of people there. And God was calling them, even before they left it, to reach Panta Ethnos in Jerusalem. We'll actually flesh that out a little later as well. But when you look at that and you say panta ethnos, we see that Jesus is saying, if you go to all the earth, you must make disciples of every type of people. It's not an afterthought in Jesus' mind. It's the goal. It's the goal. Why? Diversity is front-loaded in the mission of the church, guys, because diversity is front-loaded in the mission of God. Consider this. Right from the start, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates for himself people. Genesis 1 gives this broad category of humanity, male and female. Again, all of them. Genesis 2 is where it gets down into the two that he's talking to, Adam and woman, until after the fall when she becomes Eve. But we'll use her name, Eve, right? So Adam and Eve. 
But what does God tell Adam and Eve to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, they bear God's image, right? And so if they bear God's image and they have children, those children bear God's image. And their children's children bear God's image. And the earth will slowly but surely become filled and populated with image-bearing worshipers of God. That was the mission, that the earth be covered and filled with worshipers. But then even after sin and the fall gets broken up, we see it in in God's calling Abraham and and God's calling the original chosen people, right? We, We understand Israel and we just said they were an ethnic identity as well as a religion. And God calls them. But when he calls Abraham in Genesis 12, he doesn't simply say, and I'm going to bless you and your kids. He says, I will bless all of the earth, all people. Every nation will be blessed through your offspring. And so what's remarkable is even if you get all the way down to Jesus' time, where the Pharisees are very much and the Sadducees are very much concerned with Israel's ethnic identity and their sovereignty, they, in doing that, are missing the fact that God, from their calling, has been planning and plotting and ready to get every people group on the planet. It's front-loaded into the mission of the church because it's front-loaded into the mission of God. God wasn't like, oops, there's a whole bunch of diverse people. They don't like each other. Let's tell them to start being multi-ethnic. Pantaethnos has been there from the beginning. Diversity is front-loaded into the mission of the church, but also it's an expression of God's hospitality. We are intentionally diverse. We value diversity. We value multiculturalism. We value ethnic diversity because it is an expression of God's hospitality. And it's right here, too. You're like, where does it talk about being hospitable? But look at the very next thing it says. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. How? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. Have you ever considered baptism as a covenantal act of hospitality? Because that's what it is. Baptism, even the simple act of baptizing somebody, is welcoming them. It is entering them into this new community, this covenant community of Christ. It's saying we we are expressing in this rite, in this ordinance, in this sacrament, what we know to be true spiritually, that God has brought you into a new family. God has welcomed you in. You who were hostile to God now have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Baptism is a covenantal act of hospitality. And here's the thing. You can't get to baptism without welcoming people in. People aren't, sometimes it happens, right? You hear stories of people uh, in in the Middle East or something, and they'll be sitting in a cafe. Uh, I remember this is actually, so I don't say people like I didn't hear this from somebody. This is actually J.D. Greer 
who's the pastor of Summit Church in North Carolina and now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, talking about being in the Middle East, sitting in a, in a, in a coffee bar, um, and a man comes up to him and says, I was looking for you. And his first thought was like, this is probably not good. <laughs> right? But then the man says, I had a dream last night. And a man who was light, a man of light, told me to go to this cafe. There would be a foreigner who would tell me about him. Right? So now sometimes that happens. But most of the times, the way people come to know Jesus is that we labor as, as, as his family and as his people to welcome people into our homes, into our lives, to greet them with hospitality, to greet them with love and care and kindness, right? We say, I love you just the way you are because that's what Jesus does. But Jesus also doesn't want to leave you just the way you are because he loves you, right? What's that first step? It's, it's hospitality, right? Rick Warren said that evangelism is building a bridge from your heart to someone else's so that Jesus can walk across, right? That is ultimately comes down to how hospitable you are. And so now we're talking about hospitality, not in terms of plates and dishes and meals or, or coffee and donuts at the beginning of church, but in terms of the whole disposition of yourself towards another. Hospitality then becomes costly to you. But it is completely necessary because God is hospitable at the cost, at the price of his own son. And diversity, multi-ethnic, multicultural, intentionally diverse community requires that we all make concessions. If you are in truly multi-ethnic or a truly, a truly diverse space where people are allowed to be fully themselves in the full expression of the cultural identity that God has rightly given them, then at times you will be uncomfortable. If you are never uncomfortable, you are not being hospitable. If you, if you fear or move away from discomfort and cling tightly to comfort, you will only ever be around people who think, look, act and eat the same as you. And what that means, especially for us as Christians, is that we will likely only be around Christians, and that is unhealthy and crippling to your faith. If we're going to be an intentionally diverse church, that means we're going to have to be uncomfortable, sometimes in our own homes. Sometimes in the places where we're supposed to be the most comfortable. And that's good. Diversity is an expression of God's hospitality. It's also uh, a surprising and consistent element in the teaching of Jesus. Diversity as an expression of hospitality, and then also diversity is a surprising and consistent element of teachings Jesus uh, in the teachings of Jesus, which is really important because right here in the text, where we're supposed to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, by being 
radically hospitable and baptizing them into our community is this also in the command is to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. Everything that Jesus has instructed and commanded, we're to teach one another and new disciples to observe, which means that the life and the teachings of Jesus are of utmost importance to us as Christians. After this series on core values, we're hopping into Mark. And I'm really excited about Mark because, uh, first of all, I've never preached through a gospel all by myself. And I won't be all by myself. Joey's going to hop in. That'll be. But, like, I haven't plotted out a series on the gospel. I haven't been able to just sit in the gospel. Like, you'll find that we always kind of come back to the gospels because I like to ask, well, what, what, what does Jesus say about that, right? But to just sit in this gospel and to hear this story. And so we're going through Mark, and it's going to be a lot of fun, at least for me. <laughs> uh, but we have to know it. We have to know his teachings and his life. And so... Jesus taught that although God had revealed himself uniquely to the Jews, right? And if you're like, where did he say that? John 4, 22. You can get there. He also taught that Jewishness alone was no guarantee of favor with God. He taught that the temple would be destroyed and that the place of worship of God would be centered in the heart and not a place. And because it's not centered in a place, it won't be centered in an ethnic locus either. And he taught that to a Samaritan and a woman at that. One of his most powerful and profound teachings, he taught to somebody of a different ethnic identity than him. Get that. He taught that a kind Samaritan or a penitent tax collector was better than a pious, proud, heartless Pharisee who was fully rooted in his ethnic identity as chosen person of God. He invited women to be disciples. He invited and granted healing to Gentiles. He ate in the home of outcasts. Jesus' very life was one that said, you guys, and religion has this, has this tendency to do this, you guys have drawn to the center and you've huddled up. And Jesus is like, no, the mission of God pulls you out from the center and it pushes you out to the margins. And, and it's almost as though the Gospels are Jesus showing you every category of marginalized person I'm going to go to and that's where I'm going to dwell. And so it's amazing, if the Pharisees wanted to sit with Jesus, they had to go to the home of a tax collector. If the Jews wanted Jesus teaching on worship, they had to be in the, home, in, in the neighborhood in the presence of a Samaritan. See, this leads to diversity. And here's the thing. Uh, a lot of y'all are looking for Jesus in the box that you put him in. But Jesus is hanging out way outside of that. And if you want to find and see what Jesus is doing, right, you need to come with Joey and Emily when it starts again. Those Thursday, those Thursdays where they do, where they do, that, that one's mine. <laughs> those Thursdays where they do child care and, and meals for uh, 
moms uh, at the crisis pregnancy center, right? Like, you're going to have to go to your neighbors who don't name Jesus as Lord. You're going to have to sit in rooms with people who've never really understood the gospel. You're going to have to defend and protect the vulnerable, even if the reason that they're vulnerable stands outside of your ethical position. Jesus Jesus stood with, knelt by, the woman caught in adultery, even though the reason she was there was because she was committing adultery. And in that moment, Jesus, thank God, this is the gospel said, that there is no sin or identity that you can commit or hold to that puts you so far away that I will not come to you, kneel next to you, and protect you from the wolves who are being wolves in my name. You want to get to verse? You value seeing the least, the last, and the lost come to Jesus? Fam, we got to be about that. And so we see it, right? Diversity is front-loaded in the mission of the church. It's an expression of God's hospitality, and it's a surprising and consistent element in, in Jesus' teaching, right? D- diversity is not something that we're making up. The church is, is, if the church and as the church fulfills the mission of God, which we will, we are going to see a diverse grouping of people worshiping Jesus. And so I want us to talk just really quickly about how we're going to do that as a church, how we have planned to do that, and how we are planning to do that, and then how you can pursue this as well. So as a church, we want to front load diversity into who we are. Diversity is not an afterthought. It's front loaded into who we are and what we do. Now, Really quickly, we're not a diversity-first church. Our goal isn't multi-ethnicity. Our goal is worship of Jesus. And we believe strongly that the Bible teaches that if you worship Jesus, it will push you into places where people are different and you will become diverse. So what we're not doing is saying, let's structure this all around how to get different colored people into one room. What we're saying is, let's follow Jesus. And I promise you, Jesus is going to lead you to your neighbor. And if you live in the city, somebody on your right or your left probably looks or believes different than you. Fact. Are you loving your neighbor? But as a church, we want to front load diversity. So here's how we've done it. First, it's in our structuring. In our Constitution, today was a beautiful day for me, for us as a church. I'm so thankful that we got to install Joey as an elder. But in our Constitution, we don't simply have the requirements for elder that are in Scripture. We have more than that. Not because we believe the Scripture is insufficient, but because we want to make sure that we are strategic in how we lead out, how we act as a church. And so we have it in our Constitution that our elders cannot be made up of more than two-thirds of one ethnic group. And you're saying like, whoa, 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 that really seems out of line. But I want you to hear Acts chapter 13. And then wanting you to hear, all right, so I'm almost there. I want you to hear Acts chapter 13. 
They were in Antioch. Antioch was one of the most diverse provinces, one of the most diverse cities in the area. And it says this, now the church, now in the church at Antioch, there were set up prophets and teachers, Bar- Barnabas, Barnabas. Now, if you're reading the book, you already know who Barnabas is. He's a Jew. He was rolling with Paul. He came through then. Barnabas was there. Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger, that Roman, that Latin, it actually means someone from what is now modern-day Niger. Or it could also be someone who was black. Now, they didn't have all of the cultural, racial history, and it's too much to go into race and how race as we understand it is a modern invention that's less than 500 years old, and they didn't understand it that way, right? But they knew where Simeon was from. They knew what region of the world he was from, and they named it intentionally. Luke, Luke isn't like, yeah, it doesn't matter where he was from. Luke sees it as very relevant to what they're doing in Antioch. Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Again, a location. Lucius was of Cyrene. Cyrene is in modern-day Libya, right? He was North African. North Africa has changed a lot over the last 2,000 years. But suffice to say, he wasn't black like Simeon, but he also was very much not Arab like Barnabas, Paul. His ethnic identity mattered to Luke. Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Why does it matter that he was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch? Because it tells you where he's from and what cultural identity he assumed. And even though he might not have looked different, and this is where ethnos comes into it, people groups are different. In this room, there are a ton of ethnos. Some of you are are Anglo. Some of you are German in descent. Some of you are Swedish. There was a time in our world where white didn't exist. It was simply Swedish, Irish, Italian. Black didn't exist. You were Ethiopian or you were Nigerian, right? These overarching things that have come, and man, I don't even have time to go into it, but maybe that'll be one of our theologies on tap, right, is we can talk about the gospel and race and the invention of race and how it plays today, right? But that's my point, is that Paul, that Luke is naming off all of these people and letting you very know, very clearly know that they were all of different ethnic identities because it was port important in Antioch, a city full of different ethnic identities, that the church reflect, even in their leadership, who they were trying to meet. And so for us, we want to do that. It's front-loaded in our in, in our documents, it's front-loaded in our structures. We do that uh, <clears throat> in our structuring. We do that in our pursuit of justice and mercy. Like, we've talked about this. We spent a whole series. We spent five and a half months talking about justice and talking about ev- how all people groups, all people groups suffer injustice. But then when you look at a global and a national level, 
that when you start to fight for justice and when you start to practice mercy, when you start to care for the poor, especially in this city, you are going to see that we are dealing with and loving and serving and, and caring for and fighting for a disproportionate number of people of color. And so if we're going to be a church that as God has shown us, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of him, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God, we are going to interact with all manner of people. And so if we do justice and mercy, we will become diverse. And the final thing is just in the, like each of us who are the church, re shaping our lives so that we see hospitality as an act of worship. And so you're saying, okay, I see how we can do that as a church. How do I do that as, a, as an individual, as a person? And this is where Will and <clears throat> if this is our mission, the first thing that I want to say is like, we saw Jesus do it which means we can do it because the same power that was in him and that raised him from the dead is in us. And at the same time, and that's what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know why I'm turning there. He says, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now that's important because of what came first. He says, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. And I'm with you to the end of the age, which means that all authority on heaven and on earth is with you. You can do this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Sometimes we just think this is a bridge that we can't, this is a bridge too far. But God is with you, His power is with you. Right? There are language barriers. That wasn't, that wasn't too much for God. Right? There are cultural barriers. It wasn't too much for God, and it's still not. So be, after that, after seeing that Jesus is with you and his power, that if God calls you to a mission, he will also equip you to do that mission. After that, then you begin to, let's diversify our dinner tables. It doesn't have to be dinner. It doesn't have to be the table in your home. But meals are huge. Think about your closest friends. How did you become close friends with them? Was it, a, was it a monthly coffee meeting from 8 to 9? Sorry, 6 to 7 because I have to get to work early, right? Was it a monthly coffee meeting? Was it stated events? Or was it meals? Unexpected meals. Come over, let's watch the World Cup, which hopefully England won this morning. But let's watch the World Cup together. <laughs> And then watching the World Cup is not just we're watching the World Cup because you can't watch a sport without eating. I mean, if you, I, I, I guess you can, but I'm concerned for you. Like, I don't trust anyone who watches a sport without consuming either a beverage or a food. Like, ah, it's strange. Uh, see something, say something. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but look at Jesus' mission and his ministry so much of it takes place around the table and what happens when you eat around the table is that eventually you're like oh you bring the meal and then you have a different cultural meal and then you start like tables like meals what's funny to me is like when you go out with a friend I feel like the number one topic of conversation at a meal is other meals you had right like 
oh, this is really good. One time I went to this place, man, and we had this. It was so good, this and that, right? Like, and then those meals come with stories, and you remember who you were with, and those are experiences, and experiences build bonds, and bonds build relationships and trust and friendship, and that's how life happens. And our church will never be diverse than our collective dinner tables. There will never be more diverse. There will never be more multicultural than our collective dinner tables. So eat with people who aren't like you. Eat with your neighbors. Eat with your coworkers. Eat with everyone. Number two, reject color blindness. Yes, I said it. Reject color blindness and adopt cultural awareness. Here's why I say reject color blindness. Number one, because it's unbiblical. And number two, because you know it's not true. Like, I don't see color. Either you're actually colorblind, which, by the way, is, <laughs> what? Colorblindness is a disability. <laughs> Have you seen Little Miss Sunshine, right? There's this amazing scene where Paul Dano's character freaks out because he can't be a fighter pilot because he finds out he's colorblind. Right? Like we have a friend who's colorblind and he got one of those glasses that makes everything redder. And it was like the greatest thing that he'd ever done. He's married with two kids. Right? Like. <laughs> also, colorblindness is unbiblical. Think about Revelation chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2. Might not be chapter 2. It's either 2 or 7. And John looks up in the heavens and he says this, I saw in the heavens worshiping God every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Okay, so he saw it from a distance. But let me ask you a question. How is it that at a glance he knew it was every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? They're, that's right. They all have flags. Or he saw who they were. He looked at them and saw them. Right? God created color. God created culture. God diversified people so that there would be many cultures. And he gets glory not in one cultural expression where everybody comes to it to glorify him, but in everybody in their unique cultural expression singing and worshiping and giving praise to him. So reject that idea. You don't have to be colorblind. You can see each other for who you are. Reject the prejudice that you're trying to talk about and celebrate, adopt cultural awareness. And then finally, look, listen, finally, because DC, this is where we are. Meet your neighbors, welcome your neighbors, pray for your neighbors, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. And I don't mean that in like a, like, yes, who is your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. I'm talking right now like this guy and this guy. When you open your door and then you look up or down or to the left or the right, like those doors love those people. And I promise you, you'll start to see a more culturally diverse, a more intentionally diverse life. And, and the end result will be that as they see your love, you testify to them the love of Jesus that is not bound by Western cultural identity or Eastern cultural identity or whiteness or blackness or brownness or anything in between, but rather the providential, eternal, everlasting love of God. It is self-contained 
and it exists within you, and they will see it. And your life will become more diverse, and this room will become more diverse. Family, we can do this. Joey said it before when he was talking about the, <clears throat> uh, the Apostles' Creed. It's been said by people of every different color in every different language that the church has had. And it was written by Africans. That's why I love these historic things. When we pass the peace of Christ, when we have the, practice this liturgy, it's not because old is cool, although I do recognize that lately old is cool. It's because it is the most multicultural, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic, multi-everything thing, tool, device that we have as a church. Everyone has done it, including this table that we come to. We eat this meal with people who are being persecuted in India right now. We eat this meal with our brother, Pastor Andrew, in Turkey, who we've prayed for because he sits in prison on trumped-up charges. We eat this meal with our Christian brothers and sisters who are detained, incarcerated in our prison system. We eat this meal with all of God's people. I'm going to pray. We're going to eat that meal together. God, I pray that we would be diverse, not because diversity is cool or it looks good on a website or on a, a business card, but God, because you love every tribe, tongue, and nation. You love every people group. You love people with gray hair, uh, people with, with the, that have no money, people who have all the money. You love them. And they are, we are all desperately in need of you. So fill us with Christ. Fill us as we eat again as we renew this covenant. Amen.